If you're a wine region affected by travel restrictions and uncertainty around in-person events, then Interpreting Wine's 100-Day Wine Brand Evolution Playbook was made for you. This complete program leads and supports you step-by-step to implement multiple powerful marketing channels in your business. It's also guaranteed to deliver over 500 hours of wine trade engagement in 100 days or your money back. Learn more at interpretingwine.com slash brochure. I'm Lawrence Francis, host of Interpreting Wine, the place to learn from thought leaders in the world of wine and marketing, welcoming you to the MW Student Series. Across these four episodes, exploring the personal and professional experiences of four current MW students with the aim to shine a light on the varied roles each has within the wine industry, And in each episode, we'll also be tasting a selection of wines that have a special significance to each guest. We kick the series off today in the company of Melissa Worrell. A native of Australia's Barossa, Melissa has over 15 years experience in the industry from seller to sales, customer service to buying. Melissa holds a WSET Diploma in Wines and Spirits and is undertaking Stage 1 of the Institute of Masters of Wine program. In the episode, we taste three wines together, a Kerner and a Grenache, both from South Australian producers, Chafee Brothers, and finish with a Carmenier from Chilean producer, De Martino. All three wines are available in the UK from Enotria & Co or direct purchase from The Great Wine Co with links included below. Enjoy. I started being interested in wine uh, probably as a teenager but not in quite... um, in, in quite such an elegant, <laughs> such an elegant way. <laughs> um, so sort of, you know, you sort of go to parties and like, you know, in the Barossa, most parents generally seem to own a winery. So you kind of sneak in and steal the stash and then go and sit around the bonfire and that sort of thing. I won't name names because I don't want to get anyone in trouble from their folks these days. Um, and then I decided that I wanted to work in wine Um I guess when I was in my early, early 20s, um, I hustled and hustled and hustled um, Peter Lehmans to let me have a job in the cellar door, which was amazing. And then I did some study on then, it was the TAFE essay, it was classic grape varieties, um, standard, and then classic grape varieties advanced with a lovely, lovely um, teacher lecturer called Melanie Keynes, who, and I still I still think, like I still look to her and go, oh, I wanted to be her when I grew up. She just knew so much and she just seemed so composed and she was just amazing. So I worked there um, and then I had some babies and ended up working in Celador at Yolumba. And that's where I guess I started getting a bit grittier and more serious about wine. Um, I was working with an amazing Englishman called Gareth, who had the most brilliant knowledge. He'd worked in odd bins and that sort of thing um, in England before coming over to Australia. And just his breadth and depth 
of knowledge and his passion for wine was um yeah was amazing so I'm like gosh I, I need to learn more about this I need to learn more and luckily Yolumba was an amazing platform because um Yolumba are owned by the Hillsmith family so they've got the um Negotiants UK portfolio so as they would sort of sit my way through Paul Roger and Gagao and um and Sonori um all on staff pricing so that was wow. quite <laughs> That was quite lovely. I, I don't think I, I mean, I was grateful at the time, but you now I look back and I think, gosh, you know, what a lucky, what a lucky opportunity. Um, and through Yolumba as well, they, well, through Negotiants, they do a working with wine program for their sales team and for the broader, um, for the broader staff. So you sort of apply and you can do sort of programs where you go down to the Adelaide Oval and they have people come and talk and so we're very lucky it's Philippe Gagao flew over and um yeah spoke through wines and that sort of thing so that was quite amazing opportunity um and then we ended up moving over here so um after yeah after a few years at Yolumbur I um moved over to England with my husband, followed him for love. Um, and one of my providers what, what are you now in the in the story then what what sort of year are we are we talking about now when you so, moved over? Uh, so yeah I've jumped around a little bit, haven't I? So the so now we are at two thousand and fourteen. Okay. Um so he's he wanted to he wanted to move to England for such a long time and um, I didn't want to. I really like my life in Australia. Um, so I said, yeah, fine, we can do it, but only if I do the diploma because back then, even at 2014, um, to do your diploma in Australia was quite challenging. There was only really Sydney and Melbourne were the only places that offered it and being from the Barossa Valley, um, you'd have to fly in. It was just, you know, prohibitively um, expensive for mm. me to do it. So I said to him, fine, but I'll do it if we were in London. So I um, And that's how I started my London network. I remember... I remember kicking around and because I didn't know London at all, like literally this like completely green Barossa kid kicking around London, um, decided I needed to work out how I was going to navigate this this public transport system you have over here and work out how to get to the school and everything. And I um I went to Bermondsey Street and I was standing taking a photo of the WSET school sign and shit you not I ran into an Australian who was from the village over from where I was from like I didn't know him but we knew so many mutual people and I was like right yeah I'm supposed to be here that's it (laughs) that was quite quite fun um so I did my diploma and that's when I started I guess yeah my my um my English network of wine people, you know, I've met some incredible people in mm-hmm. my diploma course and, um, yeah, that I'm still in contact with now and others that I'm not in contact with but I follow, I guess, on Instagram and that sort of stuff and watching their careers sort of flourish and develop and grow with this sense of sort of like pride having, yeah, having a running, yeah, I guess, yeah, just see, see them see them sort of soar within the wine industry which is really yeah. lovely. Yeah, um, so I did the diploma um, and um, started working at in Otria, which is where I am now. So this is sort of like 2014 through to fast forward to 2019. Um, so finished the diploma, um, had my lovely graduation ceremony. Um, I started working on the buying team at Notria as the data admin um, and then sort of the role sort of has changed and progressed a bit um, as, you know, various movements and people leaving and the shapes of the shapes of the structure changing. So working now as 
buying and brand assistance. So sort of looking after the small Australian and New Zealand producers and, um, yeah, herding, herding the group of buyers as best as I can into some sort of organised factory. <laughs> Which is amazing. Again, I'm so blessed um, at Notria to have such an incredible portfolio of wines from around the world. So we're sort of sipping um, and looking at wines from, you know, like we did a, a, a like a flight on kosher wines from Israel the other day. And then we were also looking at, you know, old Italian wines and we were looking at some, yeah, some wines from Australia that were, you know, from um, from the Adelaide Hills. Like it's just, you know, the, the, the breadth is amazing um and it's sort of working with that group of passionate people that had made me decide to um apply for the mw program and i applied for it i didn't think they'd let me apply um, i didn't think but they did somehow they didn't laugh at my application and not only that they let me sit the entrance exam which was also dreadfully scary and um after i sat the entrance exam i couldn't quite believe it but they said yes that they would let me let me study with them so now i'm on stage one of the um mw program which is yeah like i'm so excited but i'm also completely terrified I can imagine, yeah, <laughs> or or maybe I can't imagine that. Yeah, it's just a a huge uh, a huge undertaking, but uh, doable. You know that, that that's what I want to say. You know, if it's been if it's been done before, then uh, surely you can do it as well. You know, that's that's the that's the optimist in me. I'm hoping bite sized chunks. I think bite sized chunks would be the way forward, and a good support group. <laughs> I love the way that you told that. I mean, it's it's such a you know a, in a, in in a many ways quite a condensed story that you've kind of uh, gone through. And you know, there, there's as as always, I like to just hear it how you how you sort of say it, and and then um, you know, kind of I guess delve in more deeply into into different areas. As I've already mentioned before we started, you know, that your decision to, to kind of just to, to go forward and do the MW was, uh, was certainly um, one area that, that, that I was, um, I was really interested in. But um, I think where, where I may just ask you to, to sort of zone in a little bit more in actually, um, you know, for my sins, um, Australian wine is, is actually very underrepresented on my channel um, not not through design <laughs> it, it's just uh, evolved over time and, and it's been sort of you know uh, be honest sort of nagging away at me that, that I haven't really um, covered um, Australian wine uh, as much as I could have done so I'm, I'm really, really interested for you to to maybe yeah take us really inside what you spoke about there in terms of your role now and, and that important part of that role kind of looking after those um uh, smaller Australian producers that you spoke about. So yeah, maybe just orientate us to, um, yeah, may maybe if this was sort of a, a new direction or, or a new position, and then of course, you know, a little bit in inside of the the portfolio, which of course we're going to get into a, a little bit deeper um, when we taste a bit later as well. I guess on a day to day basis, it is sort of just making sure that everything's happy like so number one that we've got stock of the wine <laughs> which is um proving an absolute uh challenge not only for australia but for everywhere else in the world at the moment there's this small situation of global supply chain carnage so mm -hmm. making mm -hmm. sure that yeah we've, we've got the wine uh making sure that the um making sure that the the sales people can sell the wine as well so a lot of it's working with the demand planners and and the forecasting as well as mm. Um, as well as getting the sales team enthused and excited and wanting to sell the wine. 
and that's part of, I guess it's always like you're buying, but you're also selling as well because it's getting them all revved up so they can then go forth to their customers and their, um, not only their customers, but their customers' teams, their customers' front of house staff, their customers, um, you know, to, to give them the confidence and that sort of thing to, to know that the wine that they've got is an excellent wine and it's wine of the choosing. Um, so I think we're very lucky in our portfolio where we have people approach us mm-hmm. as much as we approach people. So, you know, we sort of do get um, several emails a week, even more so really, um, from producers looking to make make a place in the UK, whether they don't have representation um, already or whether they have representation but they're looking at moving for, and that could be a number of reasons, they're not, you know, super happy with maybe it's maybe they're wanting to expand their volumes and so they need a bigger bigger supplier or maybe they're, um, yeah, you know, like sort of only they've got like penetration maybe in the north but they're really hoping to expand through into the mm-hmm. south. There's a number of different um, reasons for that. So, um yeah, so I guess bringing on an agency, we always so we taste as a team, which I find really valuable. So we've got oh, probably hundreds of years of tasting experience. <laughs> we can find everybody, but um, if we're looking at bringing on someone or um, you know, a, a new producer, we'll, we'll taste as a team. We'll get the wines up into the tasting room and um. And get thoughts, you know, get thoughts on on packaging, get thoughts mm-hmm. on juice, um, and then get thoughts on pricing as well. Um, because that at the end of the day it could be the most incredible juice in the world. But if it if it's priced out of where the UK market, I guess, channels sit, then it's no good. Mm-hmm. Um so you taste as a group and there's always a bit of a hearty discourse. Like obviously everyone is very passionate about the um about the countries they look after. So I've got I am most incredible, incredible Italian um, buyer, Sergio De Luca, who's been buying wine for London for 35 years. And he's a, he's just been knighted for his services to, to wine in Italy. Um, But he, 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 never misses an opportunity to, to rib on about Australian wines. (laughs) So it's a bit of, always a bit of banter about that and then of course got the french and the spanish producers and the uh, uh, buyers as well sort of you know what on earth is this what's going on here but it's good fun it's because we get to do it back you know i get to look at these italian wines and and laugh the amount of breath that's just like (laughs) just like streaming through them um so yeah so we taste um and yeah i mean and and our palettes are pretty lined i think not only are we looking for a wine um the, the packaging the juice the price but also like yeah it's gonna it's gonna fit into who our channels are like and we are fortunate in I guess the size of an Otria is like we are quite multi-channeled like we can support mm-hmm. the off trade um more so now than we ever have before um whereas our main focus has always been the on trade um and even within the on trade you know are they sort of like independent sort of wine bars or are they sort of like you know, nationals, accounts, that sort of thing. So we kind of mm. can go for volume for some of them, but then we can go for quite small niche interesting parcels for for others as well. And I feel like that's quite well represented with our Australian portfolio um, and New Zealand as well. Um, for example, we've got Darrenberg, which are an absolute powerhouse, and they probably fit across a number of channels in the fact that mm-hmm. they do have some quite big volume. They do have access to quite a lot of fruit, but Chester's such a, a quirky Willy Wonka type character that is always sort of doing like um, parcel experiments, and that's really fantastic that you can have that recognition of um 
of a wine, but, you know, if it's only a couple of hundred cases that are being produced, you can get that over and that can go in a completely different sort of market um, and and sell option than, yeah, something that you perhaps, you know, with Waitrose want to get in get in a wine. So that's quite good. It's uh, it's just to, 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 you know, give just a little bit of feedback really. And, you know, it, it, it sounds like such a, a, a complex kind of, um, you know, decision really, you know, that the, the, there are, there are like lots of opportunities and, uh, but really, you know, ultimately there, there's a, there are, you know, business decisions to be made. And, and I think that, you know, maybe if you kind of tell somebody who, who's outside of wine, oh, I, or, or you know, that doesn't know this exact specifics, you know, that I, I've been I've been tasting today for uh, for you know potentially a new um, a new agency or a new a new producer that we're that we're taking on. Um, it just sounds like it's um, you know the best job in the world, right? You're just getting getting paid to, to to drink wine, but but all you, you know. bloody do is sip and spit. All you bloody do. <laughs> I mean, it, I mean, like, like then, you know, is is it? Does that decision then? Does that look really quite different, almost agency to agency and and wine to wine? You know, I'd imagine that that, that you know each wine and uh, as you say, all of those different sort of stakeholders, like almost like no two processes are are, are quite the same. Or, or are you now sort of yeah, very much. You know, you 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 get an instinctive feel for 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 whether or not a producer is right for the portfolio. Um, yeah, I, th- I actually think that you're very correct in the fact that no produ- no two producers are kind of the same because every everything and 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 they're not because I guess intrinsically, you know, every wine producer and every wine has got something special. Everything's got a USP, and it's working mm-hmm. out whether that USP is going to fit in um, with. I guess who we are and what we, you know, what we provide as well. Um, and I mean, you can. It's. I mean, it's hard because you everything that everything that we bring in to show with the team is we've obviously seen something in there, like a spark or a or an element or you know whatever it is. So, but sometimes they, you know, on the day whether it's a fruit day or a root day, who knows? Sometimes they're just not. You know, you're tasting a wine. Maybe maybe you're in Australia. You're continuing Aussie as an example, and you think, "Oh God, this is the best wine ever." You get samples over, and you sort of tasting. When all of a sudden you're in a grey, grey, rainy day in, in London, running yeah. in a tasting room, you're like, "Oh, that wasn't quite what I remembered that to be." Um, which and which is obviously, you know, like that's disappointing. But there's no point in in you know getting producers to spend, I guess, their energy and efforts and time and money on something that you just don't think is going to sit mm-hmm. in with what the UK. Um, UK market are going to have either, but yeah, and, I mean, and we and we get you know the bigger ones, the bigger ones, you know, like you're going to have multi channels, or you know you're going to be you know comfortably be able to use them for the off trade, and they can have that high volume. Um, whereas yeah, whereas other wines, yeah, they're just a bit more, um, yeah, a bit more niche. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm sure, and I'm sure again, it's that it's that kind of knowing your customer and. Uh, having those relationships and you can maybe start to you know make make connections of oh it will be good for that customer or they they would love this and everything is kind of hits the mark right the packaging the the, the taste profile and and maybe even yeah just something that that customer has, has said to you in a previous discussion or something that's exactly right and it's that whole I guess that's where the sales team come into it as well is we always you know you'll get a, a parcel of wine in or you'll get a producer in and you think I know you can almost 
you can almost predict how like which sales team or sales salesperson's going to sort of respond to that like you know gosh you know um so and so has an amazing you know an amazing couple of accounts that you know look at wine for you know it might be indies or they or you know particular salesperson might have a I don't, lived lived in Argentina for for seven years, and so therefore they know that you know, like they you go to for Argentine wines because they're going to really elevate and that sort of thing. Or you know, um, someone tends to focus more on fire wines; they've got a higher mm-hmm. um, a higher margin. So you almost yeah, you can you can look at the channels and then look at the sales team as well. And and that's then once you've got the wine and you think okay this is going to work is that when you get this a few of those like key sales people in to go as well like what do you think about this do you think you'll be able to sell this what you know what sort of pricing do you think you'd be able to comfortably sell it at um yeah and and to work with them because then they know their customers this is that that trickle through they know what their customers want and, um as you said you know gosh that packaging looks amazing like i know that's going to sell like sitting at a bar as opposed to something on a wine list where you're not seeing, you know, not seeing that really, you know, vibrant packaging. Um, yeah. And it's, yeah. And then trying to, yeah, it, it's almost like it's, it's sort of like it's artistic, but it's also super numbers focused as well, because then at the end of the day, yeah. like you have to be able to make, make enough money to be able to, you know, keep the electricity on because it's kind of hard to run a business without that. <laughs> Yeah, no, t- totally, totally. No, it, it's really interesting. And I think the other thing that um, also came to mind, and it, it felt as though you were you were sort of hinting at it as well as you were as you were talking just there, um, was maybe th- like the impact of COVID, um, really, mm-hmm. and, and and you know, really what that. And, and I think you know, again, I think your lens and your day to day and and kind of what you do, maybe now with a little bit of perspective, you know, um, sort of you know, eighteen months or so. Um, since the pandemic started, you know, it would just be great to get a feel from you around, you know, what, what I guess changed, you know, in the, in the immediate sort of, you know, heat of the moment really back in March and April. And then, you know, how, how have things sort of either settled down or, or sort of changed for good really since then? Mm. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's like the BC times, isn't it? Yeah, it's 100%, 100%, yeah. It it happened to me today. I was like, you know, did this happen before March 2020 or was it after March 2020? It really is that significant. So, yeah, so basically uh, the answer (laughs) is everything changed. Everything changed and nothing has been the same. Um, So we, a a big portion of us were furloughed because a huge portion of our business um, is the on-trade. And so none of our customers were allowed to have their customers, so they didn't want to buy wine. So that was incredibly challenging Um, and sad as well. You know, like everyone, everyone was just sort of sat at home and not being able to connect. And I think that's one of the things about the wine industry. It's such a social social industry to be in so if you can't be with your you know be with your people you sort of yeah yeah. there's only so much joy you can get out of drinking wine at home by yourself um (laughs) yeah 100 so we had to flip quite um quite quickly into what we could do to what we could what we could sell and what we could sort of you know do with all our stock um as well as you know what we could do for our producers as well um so we ended up relying then moving into the off trade 
a lot more with things that like we've always had an off-trade presence, but not hasn't been the focus of our the particular shape of our business. Um, so yeah, working um, to try and get that happening as well as getting you know wineries that would be not necessarily. Um, yeah, not necessarily want to go into the off-trade, but actually seeing that there's a good opportunity to move volume and there's a good opportunity to move um, move wine when nothing when nothing was moving at all. Of course, back again, back in the BC times, you know, even March and April yeah. and May and June of 2020, I just feel, feel how like almost like just naive we were that no one knew that it was going to hang on for that long. Everyone kept thinking, oh, it'll, a couple of weeks, it'll be done, a couple of weeks, it'll be done. So you sort of make decisions thinking six weeks' time everything's going to be back to normal, then, of course, it isn't. Um, so, yeah, we had we had to shift a lot from the um, from the on to the off-trade, and we're very lucky that we've got um, a great team that have worked incredibly hard to, to make that happen, and, and the sales team as well had to sort of um, shift quite a lot, you know, in sort of how they were doing their business, and we've done a few sort of online, and we were able to focus a lot into our retail um, mm-hmm. and build into that, and that's been quite a good success. They were a great team anyway, and they've just, you know, I think they've gone gangbusters, which is fantastic. Um, and then, yeah, how how it's changed now. So our huge issue, our huge ongoing issue um, now is the is the global supply chain and accessing. So we basically can't get enough wine in after no one no one being able to buy any wine for um, for a year. Everyone everyone wants to buy all the wine, which is brilliant, um, but we can't get it. You know, it's just there's no there's no containers there's no ships there's no there's no staff again covid the pandemic people are having to not mm-hmm. um, work they're having to self-isolate or you know people aren't in the countries they were because they haven't been out of travel so you know the like hgv drivers and that sort of thing we can't get lorries we can't get bookings um yeah, the paperwork at the ports, you know, there's only three people doing eight people's jobs because everyone's had to everyone's had to isolate. So that's been quite challenging and frustrating and a little bit disheartening for for everyone. Like, you know, our demand planners, you know, schedule something perfectly and, you know, it turns out that there's no 20-foot containers available in the world right now. Like how on earth do you yeah. that in when you when you try to do anything and then of course at the end of the day that means that there's a poor restaurant that's going well hang on i just put this wine list together and i just worked it out on these margins what do you mean i can't get that wine and you think well gosh like there was no way that you weren't going to be able to get that wine and that's really hard as well because at the end of the day it's you know they're they're the ones that are you know getting disappointed but it's just such a such a long link in the supply chain that you know a 20 foot container shortage has impacted why you've got to take that wine off your wine list but i think as well adaptable like like you know and i and i think this is i think to me this is the lovely thing about maybe having that bit more flexibility of you know Mm -hmm. you've you've got a like a chef special you can have a som special like i wasn't able to get that so it's almost like a chalkboard (laughs) chalkboard write up of oh look we couldn't get any beaujolais you know, this week, but we've managed to manage to get a small parcel of X instead. So rather than it being a printed yeah. list, it's a yeah. <laughs> this is it. Yeah, it's it's you know turning turning uh, that situation on its head, really, isn't it? Because um, it's it's interesting. I mean, obviously, you know, you know, 
can't generalize about every restaurant and every list because because of all the all of the focuses and that but i guess this is maybe where you know london kind of comes into its own because because you do have you know so many uh well the, the position being close to europe and and potentially you know stocks having been on hand and maybe even people having built up stocks in in, in line with uh, fearing Brexit, you know, uh, sort of back in the day, how long ago that seemed, but but maybe it's actually some of that has actually, you know, to a degree, has as cushioned certain areas of the of the of the trade against, you know, what what might have been a sort of a catastrophic, um, yeah, cut off in supplies. It definitely did in the beginning. Um, like all the the Brexit stocks were really helpful, um, but they're yeah, completely. I think they got decimated. Especially, uh, well. yeah. <laughs> you can't get Provence Rosé for love nor money at the moment, <laughs> even with this. Yeah, um, but yeah, you, you're right. Like um, I think that the, the Brexit planning, um, even though. Yeah, even though it wasn't for the thing it ended up being used for, that was very, very helpful for a while. Um, but, yeah, everyone got really thirsty while they were at home. They yeah. just want to, <laughs> want to drink now. <laughs> yeah, no, 100%. No, it's, um, yeah, super, I mean, super, super interesting to get a, to get, kind of get a feel for that. And uh, and maybe I think there's actually, there is another um, aspect of, of I guess, yeah, the, the, the pandemic that I, that I think would be, um, super interesting because it, it's you know it, it sounds as though maybe yeah the 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 supply uh, during that time you know was was kind of you know still available even though maybe people weren't moving you know a lot of the things that I saw was that at least you know early on in that time that um, you know wines uh, were moving and they, I think that they were classified as essential services and, and in many countries and harvest could go ahead you know all of these like really interesting things and really important things. Um, but I think one of the things that also stood out for me was was really um, the rise of winemaker produced content. I, I, I don't think I've seen more uh, winemakers kind of going onto Instagram lives and um, you know actually getting in front of the camera. You know, mine is selling as well. You know, a lot, a lot of doing a lot of work with uh, importers as well. You know, coming on and doing training and you know just really just doing things for uh, a lot of staff that had been furloughed as well so so it's not a specific question but i wonder if you'd mind just saying something about you know what you saw and what you remember of you know your winemakers and you know your people kind of getting out there and putting themselves forward yeah i think um i think one of the things that the um pandemic did when we all had to be separate was yeah to come together in other ways and i know that sounds a bit cheesy but (laughs) Um, no one could travel and we couldn't be together. So, yeah, I mean, I know, I know there was a point last year where I think I had, <laughs> had video, um, video Zoom calls and, and virtual tastings with, with winemakers and producers probably almost every day of the week and wake up in the morning and there'd be a, a live tasting on, um, with the Barossa Grape and Wine Association, which was about five o'clock their time was about seven, like five o'clock in the afternoon their time was seven o'clock in the morning our time. So then I'd watch some, some winemakers there and then we'd, <laughs> um, but I think that was amazing. We did, we did a collection of things with some of our producers as well um we were hosting instagram lives um particularly through 
particularly through sort of I think it was April, May, June, something last year where we were getting um, producers to have a chat through with one of um, one of our team um, and then people could, you know, like doing the questions and that sort of thing. And that was really wonderful because we were getting people from, you know, South Africa and and, and Spain and, and Chile and, you know, being able to engage and chat with France as well. Um, it was nice to be able to have have them there even though they couldn't be there. And I think that was reassuring for them as well, like rather than, you know, the countries that weren't necessarily at that time as impacted as what England was and they were kind of looking from the outside in at us all sort of being so prohibited with being able to move and, and restricted with what we could do. But that was their way that they could help. If it was them having a, you know, an Instagram live with, you know, with one of their people, that was, yeah, quite a nice way I think to to um, involve. And, I think that'll be an ongoing thing now as well. Like that need of that need of having to have someone there is like that would be my first choice every time. But the fact that they can't, it doesn't mean the show can't go on. You know, even Milan Wine Week this week, they had everyone um, everyone ready for the tastings in Pall Mall. But actually, the chap hosting it was in Milan, so he. But it was it was done so live that that it yeah. was. Um, yeah, it, it felt like you. It felt like you were all in the same room, but without having to deal with the faffy, the faffy travel. Yeah, that's that's super fascinating. Yeah, I think to to kind of look back with a little bit of perspective now and just sort of see, yeah, the adaptations and and maybe yeah, some of the things that we just completely take for granted now and we just assume maybe were always like that. You know, a lot of these things are actually only really come about and, and maybe even you know only started to to mature in the, in the last 18 months or so which is uh, which mm-hmm. is fascinating um and in line with that you know something that i guess is still fairly new um for you you know having having only recently been accepted it is is having that you know brackets mw student uh after your name we can't say letters after your name just yet but but at least you know brackets mw student you've been accepted which is fantastic um and i wonder you know just you know, obviously, it's, it's still quite new, but I think I think the thing that would be really interesting for me and the listener is just to to really go into that decision to to do the MW and to and to apply because you know already and again, as many of my listeners will know, you know, the diploma is already one of the you know highest accolades and most difficult qualifications that that's out there. So, um, yeah, why? you know put yourself back through the ringer again having some why why yeah why did you do it (laughs) oh my goodness um yeah so i think i i yeah i think we joked we joked earlier about um it's you know it's it's a labor of love and you sort of do one and then as soon as you've done one people start tongue-in-cheek asking you when when are you doing the mw when are you doing the mw and i yeah ignored that for a little while um but i had so probably probably what led to it is at the end of 2020 after feeling a little bit stuck Mm. um from furlough a little bit frustrated that i hadn't been out of you know see anyone or do anything other than you know virtually I applied for um the mentor mentee program on the through the the drinks community 
mm-hmm. and um, and got accepted. And I got paired with a wonderful, wonderful woman um, who is my mentor. She's quite incredible. Um, and so talking with her and sort of helping clarify and distill a few things on what I wanted to get out of, I guess, the next 12 months for me with my career, um, for me with my journey with wine. Um, and one of those that I daren't even utter <laughs> was um, – I think maybe I want to um, apply for my MW, and it was such a it was such a big thing to even say it out loud the first time. Um, but she was incredibly supportive, and as part of the prog- part of the application progress, you need to actually have a referral from an MW to even be able to apply to sit the entrance exam. So you actually have to have an MW guess, vouch for you and your skills and your knowledge. Um, and she very kindly offered to do that for me, which I thought was incredibly, incredibly generous of her. Um, and so, yeah, that's what I, I, I sent in the application. She wrote me a reference and um, kind of, I guess, from that, from applying for the entrance exam and being told that I could do it, I have had so many conversations with so many either MWs or MW students. Um, I cannot believe how generous and open they all are with their time. Yeah. It's yeah. just amazing. Um, and one of the reasons that I wanted to do the MW uh, was basically to geek out with people about wine. And it turns out that that's a completely okay thing to do. You know, you get to talk to people about soils and, like, they're not bored. Like, how cool is that? <laughs> um, so that, And that's been amazing. So it, And it has kind of, like, I, I've stepped out of my comfort zone even telling people that I was sitting the exam and even telling people I was applying because normally I'd wait until I'd done it and got accepted, um, or if I didn't, then no one would know and it wouldn't matter. But I thought, oh, should we, I'm going to. And from the, even posting it onto Instagram or something like that, I've had people get in contact going, I've got a friend doing it, let me give you their number, and then I'd speak to that MW student and then they'd give me the number of someone else. And so just, you know, even to, to prep for the entrance exam has been, you know, this amazing collection of meeting new people and making new contacts and connections. And um, I can't wait to... <laughs> Can't wait to see them all in person. Um, so and so, yes, sitting sitting the entrance exam and then getting in that's been the same thing. It's been an amazing, um, such a high, such a high that afternoon when the email came through. It took me about three days to read the email. All I read was the first two lines, and then I squealed so much that I, yeah, I didn't go past that. Um, but you know, other like meeting other people that are going onto the program and just that sense of camaraderie and 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 shared purpose. Um, already is amazing and we haven't even done haven't even done anything yet we're just sort of you know in this 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 hazy lazy time of you know not quite knowing what we're getting ourselves into only an inkling um but yeah so that's that's it's going to be quite amazing so again I can't think about the whole picture it just needs to be bite-sized chunks I've got rust uh, in Austria in January, um, and yeah, we'll go from there. We'll go from there. I've started already collecting. Everyone, everyone keeps talking about examples. You need to have specific, specific, current, relevant examples for all the different subjects and all the different papers. So, um, if I think something sounds useful, I'm taking a screenshot of it and starting a spreadsheet. I don't. It's probably overkill, but I don't know if um. Yeah, I don't know if you could be too prepared for something like this. 
Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm uh, I, again, I can only imagine. <laughs> um, and, and actually, yeah, so I think something that, that maybe, yeah, it's, 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 it's in some ways, uh, you know, a bit of a, bit of a parallel question to, you know, to what we're speaking, uh, there before, you know, in terms of the impact of COVID on, on your, on your day to day role and, uh, and on the business. And, and it, it's really, you know, I don't know if, um, you know, in applying and in the sort of you know the first year sort of being mapped out in front of you um there's been any uh, reference made to i guess you know adaptations that the master of wine program have, have have had to make you know just you know from the outside and you know what i i've i've come across a lot of people talking about historically has been the value of visiting producers you know th- those examples that you're talking about there where you, where you were talking about a, a sort of a you know, a screenshot, <laughs> maybe this may have been actually a conversation over a barrel, uh, you know, with a, with a producer. And I'm just curious, you know, what, if any, um, adaptations have you sort of, you know, kind of felt or, or even kind of been, you know, been told about and kind of informed of? I am, um, so I am nervous that, you know, there's going to be a flare up again and how it's going to impact study. I had a conversation with, um, with someone last week actually who has done their first year um, and unfortunately wasn't successful with um, passing through stage one so they mm-hmm. need to revisit, which um, is a very, very common thing. I think it is you basically factor in failing, which is, again, a journey in itself is that the, the knowledge that you will fail is kind of quite, a, a again, a shared thing. Um mm-hmm. what, she, what, what she was saying is what she found the hardest is not being able to go anywhere. She, you know, didn't really meet anyone. She didn't really, she didn't go to a vineyard. She didn't go to a, a, a group seminar. She didn't do anything. She sat in front of her computer. Um, and although we were talking earlier about how wonderful that can be and, you know, you can get people from all over the world and, and, and you know, you still get that wine in the glass, I think, you know, it's not the same as walking through a vineyard and having a look at that trellising or walking through the vineyard and looking at that. Um, that elevation or the way the sun is there and the river is there and how that impacts that vineyard or the slope of that vineyard. You can look at the picture, but actually being in that immersive experience is is what you need to kind of connect that thought and connect yep. that fact and then to connect that to that wine. Um, so I know, I know that the Master of Wine program did the absolute best they could um, with adapting as best they could, but, yeah, I'm really, really, really hoping that – that travel will be back on the agenda for this year um, going forward because I just, yeah, the the value of being able to have those, I guess, uh, those, casual, those casual ad hoc interactions with the viticulturalist or the winemaker or something like that. You're walking from the barrel hall to the vineyard and you happen to chat about something on the way as opposed to having, I guess, a, a more formal structured Zoom conversation. You yep. know, they, yep. they yep. just have a different have a different tone to them. Um, yeah, so that would be my, yeah, that would be my take home from that. It is quite a And I guess to, to kind of as well, you know, tie, tie, tie this back to what we were talking about earlier, I guess, I guess it's, it's also where, you know, you're, you're in presumably quite a fortunate position where, where you are now, you know, having, having access to, to those producers. And, and I guess they, they know that you're now on the MW program. And, and I guess they're, they're also probably, uh, yeah, you know, excited for you and, and, and presumably, 
you know, totally up for, for, for helping and, and geeking out <laughs> with somebody yeah. else who will listen now as well. <laughs> yeah, I'll be, I'm going to be hitting up so many winemakers on random <laughs> yeast questions. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> they, they've got no idea. <laughs> but yeah, quite. Um, yeah, I've got. I, I am very lucky that I've got a good connection of um, good connection of like sort of vignerons and 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 winemakers and sort of you know cellar hands and and lab techs and you know across the gamut of stuff um, through my work. And then of course in London, you've got the whole business business side of the wine. Um, but yeah, I'm going to be asking a lot of yeah left field questions. I'm currently reading about. I'm, uh, was it David Bird's winemaking book at the moment, and I'm already fashioning questions to send send back to Australia to different winemakers. Well, what do you do when you do this? So how do you find that? Because really, again, reading it in a book versus the reality of being in a in a cellar yeah. and yeah. yeah. I feel like I might have a, a, a stompy vintage in me at some point too, so I can get back in and get a bit get a bit messy. Yeah, we've been very restrained, and we've got um, three lovely wines that you've that I've asked you to select um, ahead of the show, and the, these are all sort of lined up here. Um, and given that two of the wines are are from the same producer, which is the Chafee Brothers um, from Australia. Um, and of course, we're going to get into the detail of of the wine itself and how it's made and, and and all that good stuff. But I wonder, just to sort of link back to and, and kind of transition, really, it'd be great to hear about, I guess, their journey in the UK market. Really, you know, bringing them on, building their brand up. What were the what were the key elements that that drew you to them, and what have been, I guess, the you know the key sort of building blocks that 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 you and, and Inotria have, have used to you know to to build them and, and to create a brand uh, which didn't exist before they started working with you, I, I presume. Uh, well, actually, <laughs> <laughs> there we go. There we go. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so we've got um, we've got two wines from Chafee Brothers that I know I keep looking at them. You probably keep seeing my head move to the side on my video. It's because I keep like looking at these wines. I'm getting all can't resist. So I was very very lucky to work with Chafee Brothers with Negotiants UK um, when I um, where I was before. I was with a Not Trigger, and they were there as well. Um, and sadly, um, Negotiants. UK shut the shut their office over in England, so we all disbanded. Um, I feel like you know our ragtag bunch of of Aussie and English kids from there disbanded into different parts of the world. Um, but uh, Chafee and I refound each other at Notria, so um, I was it was like running running into well, literally was running into old friends. It was <laughs> um, very very good to see them, and very very good to see. I think with an even bigger even bigger sales force and even bigger, um, I guess, mm. channel opportunities for them as well to really, really grow and fly and, and stretch. And that's been, that's been amazing. So there was no, yeah, no need to build a brand. It's um, no need to, to um, do too much at all, except get that awesome wine out there and, um, and to the, to the team. And they've got a really, really great following within the sales team, and obviously a really, really great following within um, within the the UK market as well. And I think it's just accessible and fun, and like their labels are. This is the this is the part where um, where audio doesn't quite work, but their labels are just so um, 
so bright and so attractive and it makes you want to pick up the bottle. It makes you want to touch it. It makes you want to look further um, at the wine. It just, you know, I think that they've just absolutely nailed it with their packaging and then, you know, to follow through with the, 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 the juice inside the bottle as well as being fantastic is, um, yeah, it's, they're, they're just wonderful to work with and, and, and they're lovely, lovely blokes to boot. <laughs> Tick, 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 tick. <laughs> exactly. And I again I have to show you, although I'm wearing my I'm wearing my Oh nice T shirt today. There we are. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I want one. If they if they are they are they here? Are they are they on the yeah, well, okay, gosh, right. I'll see I'll see what I can okay, do for yeah, you. They're I'll in, I'll happily buy one. It looks like they're in hot demand at the moment. Yeah, we have them sure, come sure. over. Um, for an event, and we're making the sales force work for them. Gotta, they've yeah, got to earn them. Yeah, that's it. That's it. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, and um, and so does that then mean that you were sort of instrumental in in building up and taking uh, on um, the Chafee brothers when you were at negotiations as well? Or that- I would love to say yes, I was instrumental, but I wasn't instrumental. <laughs> Um, no, so I wasn't. I wasn't in the um, in the buying team or anything like that. It was it operated a little bit differently as well. I think um, the the collection of, of producers that were with Negotiants is sort of almost almost decided in Angerston in the in the Barossa um, because they sort of go through with the, the Sam Smith and, and Negotiants sort of team. Um, so I didn't, yeah, I didn't bring them over, but I've been lucky enough to be able to work with them and 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 grow over here which is very very cool amazing okay so i mean then you know we've obviously got the these two wines here but but perhaps before uh kind of going wine by wine yeah maybe you know give give us yeah that that kind of link back you know that kind of overview of 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 who they are and 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 kind of yeah guess what they're what they're uh, doing over there in 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 barossa and maybe yeah kind of plug Mm -hmm. us back into that region, which, uh, yeah, is where you're, of course, originally from. Yeah, so um, Chafee Brothers are based in Eden Valley. Um, they've, in fact, just just started um, a brand-new tasting room with the other artisans of Barossa Collective. Um, they've just opened a new showroom, showroom, tasting room, tasting house, mm-hmm. um, in in the Barossa, uh, so that but the, sorry, I digress. The the vineyard is um, and the and the winery is in Eden Valley. So they don't have fruit themselves, but they've got some lovely, lovely families that they um, they source their fruit from. Um, they're not particularly old. They only started um, to, they only started together under this label in two thousand and eight. Um, so they're yeah, quite new and fresh, new kids on the block. Um, so it's Dan and Theo. They have um, so they're brother-in-laws, um, and yeah, they just wanted to do something a bit different. They're they're the 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 not ball buster. Um, answers to the red wine um, and they just have beautiful interpretations of the white wine as well. So I think their their vineyard access, uh, they have quite um, some quite really beautiful aromatic whites, which I find incredibly expressive um, and they just, I don't know, they just interpret the fruit really beautifully. So we're going to look at two wines of theirs today. Uh, It was hard to choose which two because they are all quite fabulous, but I just thought these are these are quite interesting. Um, I thought they were quite reflective of of what they do in terms of um, 
I say experimental style, but it is just a bit left field. It's a bit quirky, um, and that comes through with the packaging as well. Quirky and lovable. How fantastic is that? Um, so we, yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna kick off, and I haven't poured it yet, but we're gonna kick off with a uh, the, the, the contrapunt, which is a kerner. Um, so as far as I am aware, this is the only kerner in the Southern Hemisphere and still waiting to be corrected on that. Not varietal that you see very often at all on its own. It's generally blended. Um, if it is if it is indeed blended at all, it's a, not a particularly common varietal um, whatsoever. Um this one is, yeah, done on its own and we're looking at um, a whole bunch of pressing and um, fermentation is on the solid. So what you're getting with this is a lot of really lovely texture um, as well as, you know, like pears and apples and a little bit of citrus. It's not, it's not super like high pronounced aromatics like you get in, say, a Riesling or a Gwertz, but some really lovely like clean fruit um and then on the palate here i'm going to have some and then i'll tell you about the palate mm. on the palate is there's some really lovely acid but there's some great texture there which makes it amazing to have with food and one of the things that i think i really love about not just this wine but what the the chafee brothers do with with wine a lot <clears throat> is they just service the, the Asian market so well mm -hmm. in Australia. Um, and I'm really excited to see that emerging market over here. With, uh, so I'm talking about my Asian, which is different to English, Asian, um, Oriental. So like Korean, Vietnamese, Thai um, mm -hmm. food and, and things like this coming through. So this is just amazing with that vibrancy, with something with a bit of heat to it, something with a bit of spice to it, um, you know, yeah, something that something's got some verve to match the wine. Yeah, yeah, to totally get that. And um, you know, it 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 feels as though again, you know, I'm really really keen to to kind of link this back into into what you've been talking about earlier in terms of your role and um, you know, kind of you know, working with the working with the sales team and getting kind of getting this out there. You know, I'll I'll just give my initial impression. You know, this this I absolutely love it. You know, uh, it it's amazing because it it does feel um you know so familiar. There's there's definitely that that Riesling um characteristic I think that that, that I love and that I go for and, and that sort of you know the, the aromatic, the the acidity, the brightness um but the, but there's something else there there's the, it's almost like it's 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 kind of slightly out of left field and and i and i would almost i guess if tasted blind I, I might even sort of say this had been blended with with a with another grape potentially um but you know knowing that that it's kerner which is itself a crossing and that it, that it does sort of you know bring some of those potentially sort of spicier i guess sort of um characteristics um how how does this then go across and how has this then gone across as uh yeah i guess in the sort of new reality where where there, there's maybe more of this going to an off trade uh channel than perhaps previously where where it was maybe more going more on trade and 
you know, feel free to correct me if that's if that's not. Yeah, so this one, um, this one particularly is still more more on trade than off trade. Um, and if it is off, it's more like the independent wine merchant. So tends mm. to be, I guess, and I, I am making generalizations, but I guess half our job is what we do is generalizations because it's demographic and channel <laughs> assumptions, isn't it? Um, you know, when when it's going to sort of off trade. Um, independence, that sort of stuff, they tend to be more, you know, people that are wanting like a food and wine experience, you know, like we're, we're having fake away or we're, you know, we've got a box of something that we've, we've bought, you know, the, the food boxes from the from the restaurants and that sort of thing. So they want something that's going to go with it. So we haven't had to flip. And I must say there's not a whole heap of Kerner made. So mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. It, it, it hasn't had to it hasn't got the volumes to sort of really go into to off trade because it is just a parcel within a parcel of a vineyard. Um, but yeah, so this one, um, this one stays with the foodies, I guess. This one stays yeah. with the foodies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I remember you saying earlier that the Chapey Brothers actually source all of the, all of their fruit, and um, I think what would be interesting to get from you. Yeah, again, especially given you know your your entry into the world of wine, really, it's just a an idea of 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 what type of environment we're talking about that that's produced this wine. Because obviously, I, you know, Riesling type um, grapes have have sort of found their home in many different regions around the world. So it would just be interesting to hear, yeah, what does this sort of look like? This landscape that that we're talking about, which has kind of spawned the the grapes for this wine. So <clears throat> this vineyard is, um, this is the Fechner family um, in Eden Valley, sort of Makota kind of way. So high, high altitude, mm. um, hot and dry, but with quite a high, <laughs> quite, a, quite a large diurnal range. So really, really hot during the um, day, but really, really cool nights. So obviously that's that lovely acid retention that mm. you get in there. I guess if, to sort of talk about the landscape, it's, it's just really dry. Um, it's the, the the vineyards and Makolta and Eden Valley are kind of on the um, on the on the hills on the hill between the Barossa and the Riverland. So there's a there, a rain cloud that sort of sits there, and then it slopes away into literally like nothingness. It's it's so brown and so dry. So luckily for us, the Barossa is on the cooler side of that um, and, and what rain there is, and this is bearing in mind that South Australia is the driest state on the driest continent. So when I talk about, <laughs> you know, it gets more rain, it also gets far less rain than many, many other places. Um, but, yeah, it's, and so I guess the, 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 the vineyards are, you know, I've got this picture in my mind now of, of the vineyards. It's, you know, big old gum trees mm-hmm. and, you know, sheep's grazing in the next paddock and, yeah, very sort of rural, very remote. Um, Eden Valley and, and all the way through there is just, it's a very peaceful, very sort of small farming community still. Like the villages are quite small. Um, there's no there's no large towns so all the villages are really just a couple of hundred people a primary school a church and a pub is pretty well what yeah. feels like um mm. and then farms dotted in between so quite a few like quite a few vineyards sort of sit along and obviously you know um people are there to for it's mainly mainly riesling and the white aromatics that are planted up there as well there's a, a little bit of reds but that sort of goes more down to the southern southern end of the Eden Valley, sort of backing backing through sort of Lindock and Williamstown, that sort of thing. 
just the only other thing that I would I would say, and and uh, you know, I think it's 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 a, a broader uh, you know observation, and, and even just something that I I totally love about wine. You know, as I think you know, as you describe those you know very small rural communities there, um, you know, a lot of them I'm sure you know globally they are you know they're shrinking. You know, people are moving away to cities. And it's actually, you know, wine is something so special that it actually kind of bakes in sustainability of those um, communities because you can actually, you know, bottle a commodity that, <laughs> that can go around the world and can end up, you know, on my uh, table okay. here over in London and, and, and can kind of, you know, capture a little bit of that of that community and that, that input and, and, and all of those things that you've spoken about there captures them preserves them and and lets them come you know halfway around the world or it's just i just I always just find that so incredible and, and it's just you know that, that little time capsule really of that place that's able to to get out there and, and keep telling the story um i'm, um, in, I'm in here in New York and, and everywhere really amazing i'm writing um a piece at the moment and one of the things that i was touching on in my writing was how i haven't been able to go home for you know a couple mm. of years now but mm. as you've exactly just said like this is you know pour in a glass and mm. this the last time that that was touched by anyone or anything was was you know yeah. it is from where it's from so i'm able to have this little piece of home this little piece of of not only australia but this little piece of the barossa this little piece of eden in a glass as as and that's as close as i can get to being you know near my mum near my best friend near my you know near all my people um and that's that i guess that's that wonderful thing about wine is you get to enjoy the same glass of wine that i'm enjoying and yeah. you know we can talk about it and share it yeah. and yeah the last time that that was open for anyone else was was back when the boys were, yeah, back when the boys were, were um, putting it into bottle. It's quite special, really, isn't it? It's sort of, I think, yeah, it just it just makes wine and, you know, have that, I guess it's that, that terroir and that provenance and that sense of place, but it's that emotive element of that sense of place as well as that physical, oh, yes, I can smell the, the minerals. Like, oh, I can smell wine. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and 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 for me, really, you know, what's huge is that you know it lets it lets you know two, you know, youngish sounding guys <laughs> at least, you know, let lets them make a make a, a living and, and lets them, you know, stay where they want to and 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 you know, I guess you know, give something back to the to the community as well. I think it's just just this really amazing thing. We get we get to drink and we get to hear these stories and um and and they get to. You know, do what they love and 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 keep doing it and and doing it in the way that they want to and uh, everyone's happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, this is it—a glass of wine in hand, and if it's a bit of wine from home, I'm even happier. But yeah, and, and with the, with the time difference, even even more so, right? When you if you do, if ever doing training, it's all, it's always someone's morning, isn't it? When you're when you're doing uh, the you, Australia. <laughs> It's like some, someone's always got to take one for the team. So, uh. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So, second wine is the Paxa Turner. So, we are a little bit behind in our vintages here in England compared to Australia. So, um, I might have mentioned that there's this small kind of 
global shipping crisis at the moment. Um, Teeny weeny one, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, just a small one. Um, But so we're a little bit behind in our vintages here. So we're looking at a 2019 Mm. pattern, Mm. whereas they're now onto the 2021s in um in australia but that's fine we can we can drink and catch up yeah it's like it's like when when there used to be such a big gap between the movies coming out in america and and, and everywhere else in the world isn't it <laughs> so i remember growing up in australia our fashion seemed to be five years behind all of you guys and here we are two years behind in vintage <laughs> so um this one is yeah the Pax Eterna. so it's an old vine grenache uh grenache is one of my favorite grape varietals i think it's quite um specific to the barossa um in that it was one of the one of the we've got some of the oldest grenache plantings um and we've got quite a lot of grenache plantings so years and years and years and years and years ago when the barossa was first settled by white people by um, European settlers. It was obviously um, populated with with Indigenous people before that. Um, The German settlers brought uh, Grenache to start making sacramental wine, which is why we have so much old bloody Grenache. but this one is made so this and this is I think this is a really good example of a wine of where the Chafee brothers have um, captured an energy and have moved forward with it. Is this is new, new Barossa, new wave, nouveau Barossa, um, Grenache. It's not over extracted. It's not macerated to to buggery. It's not you know in oak. And you can I can see looking at the color there. Yeah. It's a poppy raspberry you know, vibrant colour. I mean, it could just be, you know, it could just be cordial. Like, and I, I really um, think that in the glass it looks like looks like Beaujolais, really. Um, it's the whole idea, you know, it's like a whole bunch fermented. It's, um, yeah, everything about it's made to keep those aromatics, to keep that freshness, to keep that vibrancy. Uh, it doesn't see oak because again, it's just the, it's just this nouveau style, which is, which is absolutely brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, and it makes the Pax Eterna utterly smashable, which is quite, <laughs> quite a fun thing. Love that term, nouveau barossa. And does that mean then, you know, just to, to kind of, yeah, educate me, you know, say a bit of, bit of a, bit of a newbie here. Um, does that mean that people were maybe, you know, using those old vines that they had in the past uh, and maybe sort of, you know, slabbering on lots of oak and, you know, lots of sort of, I guess, winemaker intervention? Uh, yeah, which, you know, as was the style at the time. So for many, many years, you know, if you couldn't stand a, a pencil up in it, was it even from the Barossa? Um <laughs> Which was the which was the way, um, but also winemaker intervention, um, all that sort of stuff. You know, time in barrel, time you know, um, time on skins, all that sort of stuff took took time. And when you're making a wine, that also takes money. You've got to have the infrastructure. You've got to have the finances to be able to have a barrel like a French oak barrel 
330 litre hogshead. I mean, this is a couple of years ago now, but it was about 1500 Australian dollars. Like it's quite a significant amount of money. Whereas if you're actually not needing to have the, 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 the setup for that, well, gosh, you're just taking down the town, the cost and increasing the time that you can turn over your wine. I'm not saying that's what these guys did, but because they were such a small startup, that must have been a consideration with, with how they could yeah. finance what they wanted to do, um, as well as that movement. And I mean, the same thing happened in Barolo, you know, sort of through, from um, from the 70s and 80s and then into the 90s, people in Barolo were wanting to make wine not like the way their dads did. And this is exactly what's happening in the Barossa at the moment is people are wanting to make wine not like their mum and dad did. They're wanting to make wine that's different. They're not wanting to... They're not wanting to kind of, I guess, stick with the the other, you know, the older customs. And so this Nouveau Barossa, um, which I think is really nicely encapsulated with Chafee, there are a number of other a number of other producers now. And another one that springs to mind is Whistler Wines. Um, they're based in Maranga and they do essentially two collections within their portfolio. Um, the the Whistler Wines, so the, the family of Fifers, which is German for whistles, so they've kind of like they choose the anglicised name. Um, the like the, the wines that their dad was making and their mum was making is under that whistler, but then they've got this kind of um, like next gen collection, and everything about it is different, and it is very much this, you know, like um, fruit and fun and fresh and yeah, that sort of style. So yeah, this wine, this Pax Turner is just. I can see you enjoying it. You're. <laughs> I love it. I, I, it's it's actually um, you know why why I was looking at the color there. I was I was actually sort of taking yeah. myself back to Madrid, which which is actually I, I would say you know the the one of the places where I probably had the most world class Grenache from. Um, you know uh, the, the the producers over there, especially in the. The Sierra de Gredos at, at quite high levels, they they were very um, yeah they were they were so welcoming and, and and they would kind of make a point of where we were trying single vineyard Grenaches. We we'd actually have to go to the vineyard to taste it, <laughs> so so they'd be able to to kind of tie what we were tasting back to you know something specific in the in the in the site there and i was just trying to yeah but i guess this is this is building such an amazing um image because it you know it, it absolutely does have that freshness it does have that sort of uh crunchy isn't isn't sort of quite the right word but i've noticed on the the tasting note they're kind of the kind of cranberry just the way that you mm. know there is this sort of really fresh fruit i guess but but yeah and red fruit but yeah just with that sort of heightened acidity but but yeah really you know lovely in in that in that fruit forward respect but you know i'm still getting it there's this there's this gorgeous herbal uh component that that just sort of lingers and 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 you know caresses the tongue afterwards and and again that that sort of savory element i think again it's probably another one that the the foodies are are all over as well i'm sure absolutely and i i love that you spoke about the acid with the grenache because that like that you get that freshness on the nose and then that acid sort of follows through on the palate and and the the tannins are there but they're so fine grained and then there's that lovely fruit so there's this 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 lovely length as well as freshness and like I've had a sip and I can still get that that raspberry and cranberry fruits sort of coming around and it is that you know that fresh raspberry and that 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 fresh cranberry rather than cooked or jammy or anything and it's just yeah it's lovely yeah and yeah and again, like can you imagine this with food and 
I and I always always like to put um when I'm enjoying wine in context, do, do I wear shoes? Do I not wear shoes? So I don't think I'd wear shoes for this wine. You know, kick kick shoes off, picnic platter, charcuterie, Flip probably some or- on. Hmm? Thongs. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. I didn't say that over here. I've been, I've been caught so many times. <laughs> um, but yeah, it is just a wine of of um yeah of fun. So you're like quite literally, utterly smashable. Like it's just yeah, just yeah. made for enjoyment. We've unfortunately now come to the third and final wine that we're going to be tasting together. But this one really stood out for me because you being a Barossa girl, choosing two Barossa wines to, to kick things off, the third wine isn't from Barossa. So I, I'm guessing there, there must be a little bit of a story here about why you uh, chose to include this one, I guess, ahead of all the other wines you could have potentially chosen. So, yeah, please, please introduce us to the third wine we've got in the glass here. Excellent. So the third wine that we're tasting is from DiMartino, and it's a single vineyard Carmenere from Chile. Um, and now the reason I chose this producer and this wine um, is, is almost like, you know, those desert island wines, desert island discs that feed on from one to the other. The reason I chose this wine is because of the the producer, the family, and the winemaking used in this wine is New Wave Chile. <laughs> this is Carmenere, but not as you would have expected it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, family-owned winemakers, again, they're into their third and fourth generation. Um, a family estate, so quite different in that respect. But everything about the way they make their wines at Martino is about elegance, is about restraint, is about structure um it's not about oak use it's not about um maceration it's not about tannin it's just about like that lovely lovely fruit um coming through and being at the forefront of what they do so that's why i've chosen the carmen yeah so um this family have been doing quite a few things from the sustainable side of things as well they're um they're carbon neutral um as a winery which is quite amazing um and yeah they wanted to the the the, um the the boys that are do it looking after it now, they wanted to sort of tear up the rule book when it came to what chili and wine should look like. Um, and they're rewriting it and they're doing it in their own way and they're doing it with such amazing success. Um, and yeah, like the proof is in the pudding, the proof is in the bottle. Um, it's just, yeah, just delicious. So I'm going to have a sniff and then get on the palate. They're obviously a lot bigger than the Grenache, but the acid and the freshness that balances with these really elegant tannins and that that lovely cool black fruit coming through. I find it's just, you know, it's such a beautiful example of a varietal that I guess tends to get pushed to the side a little bit, which is, again, the reason I chose it. Like Grenache, Grenache is a bit... It's a bit uncool, or it was a bit uncool. Carmenere is a bit sort of like what's a bit common, Um, whereas this is just such a a vibrant, lovely example of a wine um, from, you know, really great interpretation of fruit and looking at it from a different angle, looking at looking at the way it's made to how they wanted to see the wine rather than what everyone else was doing um, to the point now where, you know, it is really inspiring offshoots within within that sort of like, I guess, the, the interpretation of how people are seeing Carmenere as well as how people are seeing um, Chilean wine. Amazing. And uh, I, m- I must say, um, you know, I didn't know too much about this um, wine and, and the approach before 
I opened the bottle, but I, I made a point of opening this about an hour and a half ago um, because I thought, oh, this is a Carmenere from Chile. It's going to have lots of oak. It's going to need an hour <laughs> or so to just um, express itself. And when I when I when I poured it out and had that first smell, I was like, hold on a minute, this isn't, you know, I don't get any of those sort of, you know, what I, what I see and what I've always known as sort of classic um, tones. You know, that kind of that sort of oak and that almost more towards sort of chocolatey, almost kind mm-hmm. of quite quite full and rich. And and as you say, it, it absolutely is. Yeah, I can see the yeah different color here from the from the Grenache and you know a, a different experience. But again, it, it's it's as you say, moving from fresh red fruits to fresh black fruits. It's it's not it's not taking you so far down into the you know uh, i guess the sort of you know towards being a meditative wine which is what i always hear people uh, in italy talk about you know with those really kind of rich wines mm. you know, this is absolutely so approachable so drinkable um and uh, you know and i'm and i'm you know sort of again you know i i think pleased that that this is also influencing people around them as well because you know i just that that's just something that i just see is more and more important as you know all of these things that are that are happening to kind of disrupt supply chains and move things around you know i think that you know like loyalty to specific brands and and, and loyalty to to regions i think it's going to it's only going to be more important over time um and you know in making incredible accessible wines like this i think is is you know is doing a lot of your job for you really isn't it <laughs> absolutely absolutely it, 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 yeah it, it really it just makes it makes everything so much easier and I, I love I love that I love that when you read the label and you had your expectations mm-hmm. and your preconceptions mm-hmm. to, to putting your nose and I could see you see your face as you're putting your nose in the glass and sort of um, I, I was I, I was thinking oh gosh don't tell me it's cool <laughs> no I was, I was I was sort of still looking instinctively for the yeah and and that that rich oak uh but this is lovely it's 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 um yeah just just yeah i think what what you you'd call is just the the you know not natural wine but you know the natural uh grape and the the natural influence of the grape and and obviously that that then draws back to everything that goes into that the region the people um how it's been how the grape's been treated in the in the in the in the vineyard and in the cellar all of that actually being able to express itself fully which is just you know incredible to a to i think to any wine fan and and you know and especially you know chilean wine which which, which um yeah is, i think you know is is of course exported in in large amounts but you know there's always room for reinvention and and, and as you say new wave chili New wave chili, exactly. And it is that, you know, it's that um, de-stemming and then there's, you know, it's the stainless steel ferment that's just maintaining that freshness, that that vibrancy of that black fruit in there. And um, I, I love, I, like, the, don't get me, this still has the acid and that tannin that you could have this with, you know, with something really quite meaty if you wanted to, but also you're not going to get bogged down. I find with some of those big uh, Chilean carmineres and, and, and even, I mean, Chilean, cabernets that sort of thing they get quite they get hard work after more than a glass whereas this one is just yeah just it's just such clean and free sipping and the fact that you're seeing i, I like you know the the naked fruit it's like the naked chef isn't it it's the naked yeah. <laughs> naked fruit it is just um and i think this is what i've enjoyed about all three of these wines is it's yeah. just been the fruit purity and that winemaker 
has kind of been the vessel to to give us that fruit experience rather mm-hmm. than, and you know, <laughs> sorry, winemakers, if um, the ones that are listening, but, you know, not having that ego of over, you know, over winemaking the, the the wine. They're just letting, letting the fruit speak, letting the vineyard speak, letting that sense of place speak, letting, you know, the, that interpretation come through rather than going, oh, I need to do this and then I need to do that and then I need to do that. They're actually just keeping their hands off because what they're doing is knowing that the the relationship with the, the vineyard and the viticulturalists and the quality of the fruit is so amazing that all they have to do is not mess it up and you're getting something absolutely magical at the end. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, whenever I've had those conversations with the winemakers, it, you know, my interpretation of it, rightly or wrongly, who knows, <laughs> has been that actually they've done so much work and they've, done, they've you know, put in so much effort like all through the year that actually then by the by the time uh you know the 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 snip is made and the and the and the grapes are in the cellar and the wine's in the barrel um actually like most of the work is actually been done i mean it's it's bloody hard work but they've actually taken the time to put all of that in and 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 you know <clears throat> being able to just as you say just sort of draw back from that and maybe you know safe in the knowledge that you've put in all of that work in the rest of the year you can't make good crazy. wine from bad fruit yeah that's it. That's it. They can, and they can be happily hands off. <laughs> yeah. And let yeah. nature take its course. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Incredible. Okay. Well, I, I, yeah, just want to say another huge thank you because I've, you know, as you can tell and you can see, um, I've so enjoyed today. Uh, it's been a, it's been a real, uh, revelation for me and a real eye opener for me. So thank you so much for, for, for choosing these wines. Um, and I'm going to, yeah, really, you know, I always like the guest's voice to be the, the last one on the podcast. Um, so, yeah, I, I'll just, you know, keep it really broad and open because we have, you know, happily darted around a little bit. We've spoken about Barossa. We've spoken about MW. We've spoken about these wines. Uh, we've spoken about, of course, Inotria and, and we've spoken about COVID. So I just wonder, you know, on any of those topics or even any new topic at all that you, you want to sort of bring in, like, you know, as we sort of you know, sit here or stand here talking October 2021. <laughs> um, yeah, looking ahead, you know, to the end of the year and, and ahead into into next year, you know, what are the sort of things or the thing that, that comes most to mind as you're sort of, you know, most anticipating or looking forward to? Oh, my goodness. Okay, what am I most looking forward to? Well, baking it through Christmas. Uh, do you know what? It's simply and not necessarily related to wine, but everything is always related to wine. We got to have Christmas with some people that I love. Like how amazing is that going to be? Drink some yes. really good booze and eat some really good food with some people that make my heart happy is what I'm looking forward to. <laughs> and it's yeah. like such a simple thing, but not having the opportunity to be able to do that last year actually has made – you know, made me double down into the festive season again this year. You know, it really is, yeah, it really is special. Um, yeah, so probably, probably, you know, going forward is, and and I, I love that you spoke about this being sort of a moment in time before I start on my MW is, is where mm-hmm. I'm going to be sort of mm-hmm. in October 2022, like what my wine, I guess my wine knowledge and palette and how my journey is going to be going then like I have no idea hopefully the MW is kind to me I know it's going to be my own Everest (laughs) (laughs) but hopefully I'm getting I'm getting as match fit as I can (laughs) 
um, I'm yeah, I'm looking forward to I'm looking forward to going to Austria. I've never been there, and so actually the thought of wearing some boots and getting into some vineyards and mm-hmm. some vines is like has me giddy with excitement. I'm really looking forward to doing that. Um, and I'm really looking forward to this supply chain shortage being over because it is a nightmare and a headache for every single one of my colleagues, you know, every single one of my <laughs> every single one of my stakeholders. It's um it's just an absolute nightmare. So I'm yeah, I'm looking forward to that being a hilarious and distant yeah. memory, I think. A huge thank you to you, Melissa, for your enthusiasm, for sharing your journey and for sharing such fantastic wines during our conversation. And if you know someone who would really enjoy this episode, then do please share the direct link with them, which is interpretingwine.com slash 463. See below for Melissa Worrell's two Instagram handles. Follow them both so not to miss out on any news. And of course, I'd love to have you following along with me on social media, where I'm at Interpreting Wine on Instagram and Facebook, at Wine Podcast on Twitter, and email hello at interpretingwine.com. Next time on the Interpreting Wine MW Student Series in episode 464, I'll be speaking with Victoria Daskal, founder of the Mummy Wine Club. So make sure you are subscribed to Interpreting Wine Podcast to be alerted when the episode goes live. See you then.